welcome to the Camden Fringe Pod, a podcast all about the Camden Fringe. Keep listening for a glimpse behind the curtains and to find out how you can get involved in, you guessed it, the Camden Fringe. Hello, I'm Michelle. I'm Zena, and happy... World, World Fringe, Fringe Day. Day. Woo! What's your favourite fringe, Michelle? Um, mine is the Camden Fringe. Mine is also the Camden Fringe. Second favourite? Uh, Ottawa. I am a big fan of also the Manchester Fringe. That's fun. I like Brighton Fringe. I love Edinburgh Fringe. Uh, I like Bedford Fringe. A big big fan of the fringe. Yeah, Buxton. Buxton. There's a lot to choose from. Scarborough's getting one. What's interesting, I think, about World Fringe Day is that it's not just a UK thing. It is not. Canada has a really big fringe scene, doesn't it? Mm-hmm. Australia has a really big fringe scene. It does. There's a Ukraine fringe starting this year, or has started. I can't remember if it's happened or not yet. Anyway, fringe is good. So, happy World Fringe Day to all who celebrate. And all who sail on her. Today's episode, we're talking to three female-led shows about their shows. We don't really delve that much into feminism, but, you know. There's a little bit. We dip our toes in the waters of feminism. So you'll be hearing from Kea Uppal, who's from Haldi, who are performing their show Brown Girl Noise. Holly Hall, who's doing a solo show, which is called You Wouldn't Like Me When I'm Angry. And Fiona Munro and Lucy Padwick from Light at Midnight Theatre talking about their show, Faustine. Wonderful. We're talking to Kaya, who is the writer and one of the stars of Brown Girl Noise. Yes, yes I am. Amazing. So tell us a bit about your show. Basically, our show starts at like a biopic for Pretty Patel, um, autobiographical film oh my god yeah I know and (laughs) all the characters are like let's not do that and instead they tell their own story it becomes this like gen z like super contemporary story they talk about love island and their first crushes and all these like fun topics so it's more like growing up and like finding your feet as a brown girl today yeah it sounds like a really good coming of age show that's what we're trying to do that's like the goal you start off feeling like you should be like pretty patel and then you decide not to be is that the idea they all turn up so it's basically an audition mm-hmm. so it's like that very actory thing of they're all sort of at the beginning arguing and like oh we, we want the role are you sure that you'll be right for this and then they're like hang on what are we doing we don't want to play Pretty Patel. We want to like tell our own stuff. That's sort of how we pick it up at the beginning. So the Pretty Patel bit is a very small part of the show. Yeah, don't worry. Just a throwaway, <laughs> wrong footing people at the start. Yeah, so let's not yeah. get too hung up on that. <laughs> <laughs> don't worry, we do not. <laughs> You're female-led company. Yes. How many of there are you involved in the show? So our production company is made up of two South Asian women. They are Nitu and Amira. And then the cast ourselves uh, i'm kaya i'm the writer and i'm acting and then we have misha karina and amber and they are also all south asian women and they're the performers did you all know each other before this show or have you come together for brown girl noise yeah we just sort of started something from the ground up but because 
like a project like this, we don't get many things like this. So it's actually quite easy to find people and to gain a lot of interest. So I think we're really happy with the team now and we're really excited to just get started. And when did you start writing the work? I started writing it, I think, December, January of last year. I think it was only two or so weeks ago that the final draft was done. So even after we signed up for Fringe and everything, we were still updating the script still are doing it so it took a while and did you sort of sit and write it alone or was it a group process so we had um an r&d which changed everything like the whole show changed when we did that it was so helpful to have everyone in the room and to experiment with it and then also need the director she's also been dramaturging the whole way through so she's been a huge help so it's, i'd say it's been quite collaborative i feel weird saying i wrote it myself because i think mm-hmm. it was all of us really put the work in to make it what it is. And which character do you play? I play super quirky, so our characters don't actually have names. So they're just called A, B, C and D. I play C. Did you write C especially for yourself? Did you like, oh, that's a good line. I'm going to say that one. <laughs> I'm not going to lie. <laughs> there were points <laughs> where I was like, these are some good lines that C is getting. <laughs> but I think it organically happened. There were some good lines in there that I was like, ah, I want that one. That's the writer's privilege, definitely. And have you written anything before that's been performed? Just at college. I went to a performing arts college. So yeah, I think that's what's really cool about Fringe is that because we brought all these people on and also even when we do the show, it can still change so much. There's no like, this is the final script. I still see it as changing all the way through to after the show. So you're performing at the Hope Theatre. Yes, we are. And you've just revealed to us you've sold all your tickets through the Hope Theatre website. We've got a few available through Camden Fringe. What's your big marketing tips then? Because you've done very well getting rid of all those tickets so early on. I think the best thing I did was just finding the target audience for the show through other shows that have been similar. And then on those accounts, finding those people, following them. And then through that word of mouth, spread it pretty quickly. So I think that was the best thing was sort of building up the following. Obviously, I don't want to harass people, but it would be every like two or three days, there would be something on my story like, ah, tickets, tickets, tickets. And then once one night had sold out, it became like, oh, people were like, oh, this is something that we want to see. And then after that, it was easy. I say easy, (laughs) but... Sounds like you put a lot of work in. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. (laughs) Yeah, a lot of work and a lot of good, careful planning and thinking. I think it's also just, I can't think of another show like this, a fully South Asian-led female space I just can't name you a show like it so I think once it we put it out there it was like people were jumping on it because it just doesn't exist so do you want to tell us the dates that you're performing we are performing Sunday the 13th to Wednesday the 16th and they will all be at 9 p.m brilliant and where can people find you online on Instagram you can find us at brown underscore girl noise and on Twitter you can find us at just brown girl noise it's a bit easier so for uh, anyone who still wants to buy a ticket for your show, there are some available from camdenfringe.com. Thanks, Kaya. Good luck with all the rest of the rehearsals and things, putting it all together. So, so excited now just to make it happen. Welcome, Holly, to Camden Fringe Pod. So you're doing a show called You Wouldn't Like Me When I'm Angry? Yeah, that's right. Does that mean you're going to hulk out at some point? Yeah, definitely. I basically realised in my own personal life that I don't express my anger. And rather than explore that, I thought, 
maybe I'll just make a show out of it because it feels like a funny thing to talk about. I do sketch comedy and improv comedy as well, but this this particular show is character comedy. And are you quite an angry person? I wasn't really aware of my anger at all, really. I didn't really think about it. And then I started having therapy a few years ago and the therapist said to me, you have issues expressing your anger. I know that's probably like meant to be a profound moment where people would then kind of work on themselves. But I just thought that was hilarious just to have a whole emotion that you just don't access at all. So, yeah, I thought, okay, I'm going to make a show out of it. Yeah, I sort of became aware that I do have anger and that it came out in other ways. So maybe I would feel sad when actually it was anger or I might laugh things off when actually it was anger I mean I don't want to inflict that on other people but I feel like hopefully there are people who can relate to this Um, because when I was researching the show I was looking for groups or like just people to talk to about suppressing your anger and I found that there were plenty of resources and groups and talks about people who were very angry and anger management but there wasn't really anything out there for people who just buried it and swallowed it. It's one of those things, isn't it? Like when you're a baby, you you can get angry. And then the older you get, the more and more it's suppressed because it's not, what's the word? Socially acceptable. Socially acceptable, is it, to go around being furious? I've learned to acknowledge the fact that I feel angry. I'm sorry that this has now turned into some kind of deep therapy. (laughs) (laughs) It is meant to be a light comedy show. I promise Mm -hmm. it's funny. I mean, I think just acknowledging that there's anger there is really helpful. That's definitely helped me. I've learned some techniques as well to deal with that, that you can use in your day-to-day life. Like a punch bag. Yeah, I guess you could do that. So I do quite like boxing, so that can be quite good. Um, But even just like visualisations that you could do on your own, that can help you to deal with it. So do you ever imagine like stabbing someone or punching them really hard? (laughs) When I think about Boris Johnson, I think about grabbing fistful of his hair and just slamming his face into a brick wall. But the honesty, definitely have imagined scenarios. That's been something that's really helped. Like, what would your anger do if you could physicalise it? If you could do anything? And it's good with that exercise because you know that it's safe. You know that you're never going to do that. But just through thinking about it I think it allows you to process the feeling because with happiness it's like we can all laugh and like you say it's not socially acceptable crying I mean I feel like that's easier for people to access or certainly easier for me to access but with anger I don't know yeah it's probably a gender thing as well that women it seems it's fine for women to cry but with men they're very much swallowing their sadness um, and if we get angry, men, we're it's just like fine for them to bitches. be angry and have road rage. But yeah, women, it's like terrifying and they're out of control and harpies and things. Yeah, it's really interesting to look into that. And I think it's good to talk about it, isn't it? Like just to share these things with people. I find that comedy helps me to deal with a lot of things. I make online sketches as well. And I find it is kind of a form of therapy. Is this your first show? It is my first solo show, yeah. So I've performed quite a lot as an actor and as an improviser and in sketches. But yeah, this is the first time I've taken something on my own on stage. I did do some work in progresses last year, but I'm finally saying that's it. It's it's finished now. I'm going to bring it out to Camden Fringe. So I think the show 
can be for anyone. It can be for people who don't express their anger. I've had a few friends say that it was quite triggering because, I mean, we've all got critical voices. And I think the show really highlights that. And it shows you that you're not alone. We all do this to ourselves. It also touches upon, you know, social media and how we compare ourselves to different people online and the pressures that we feel at the moment about money and society and work and everything like that. So it does touch upon things I think a lot of people can relate to, but it is also very silly. I do some stupid dances in it. Any other things that you got wind of that you're interested in yeah so my friend Sam Fletcher is doing a show and I went on his podcast I am the walking talking tour (laughs) the comedy walking talking tour I did that a few months ago and it was amazing Sam's so lovely um so yeah really silly fun podcast that was really nice but I'd love to see him live because I know he does magic and he does comedy and where are you on so I am at two north down really lovely venue I performed there earlier this year and I really really loved it the staff there are so nice the venue's amazing it's just a really lovely kind of intimate space but then it's a big stage area so you're on at two north down on the 16th of August at nine o'clock and the 17th of August at nine o'clock how can people find you on social media if they want to follow you and look at your videos yeah, so I'm on Instagram and TikTok, Holly Hall Comedian. You won an award for your digital content, didn't you? Yeah, so I won BBC New Comedy Awards Digital Comedian of the Year, which is a big mouthful, um, in 2021 with my podcast sketch. And that was amazing. And then I went on to write a BBC short, which is on iPlayer now. It's a BBC Three short and it's called It's What She Would Have Wanted. And it's got some really great comedy people in it, like Fiona Allen and Kate Robbins and Kyle oh, wow. Smith, I know. So, yeah. Thank you very much. Great. Thanks so much Thank for having me on. Hello, Lucy and Fiona from Light at Midnight. Hello. Hello. Welcome to the Camden Fringe podcast. So you're here to talk about your show, Faustine which I was going to explain what it was, but why don't you explain what it is? (laughs) (laughs) So Faustine is a dark comedy play, which I have written and Fiona directs and we both perform in. And it's a modern feminist twist on Dr. Faustus. So take Faustus, but make him female and on the verge of freeing womankind. We kind of wanted to do something a bit different and more modern and feminist orientated. And it's a lot of fun. Um, We have a set of dead feminists. We have a possessed Alexa. We have an (laughs) immigration attorney from actual hell. And we have a mahoosive pair of Bridget Jones knickers. All at the same time talking about some serious issues of gender bias and medical research and endometriosis and um, looking at the perspective of women in STEM as well. So a lot packed into a one-act show. And so it has a contemporary setting. Indeed, yes. We bring it to the modern day. I think 360 years old is the original. Roughly, 361, 62. We like a good modern reference. Saying that, all the music in it is from like the 80s and 90s, so it's not that modern. (laughs) That's the best era, really, isn't it? Exactly. Music? You can't you can't beat that era. So you two, you're the writing and directing team and the performers. How does that work? How do you direct yourself? Kenneth Branner manages it, so Oh, that's true. <laughs> yeah, so we're doing a Kenneth Branner. I did it as part of the R and D, partly because Lucy and I came up with the concept together. The characters were kind of based on 
linguistically our patterns and rhythms just because it happened naturally. And so I did it for the R&D because we did not expect to get any funding. And so minimizing the team, you don't have as many people to pay. So that was why I was in it to start with. Lucy was always intent. And then we were lucky enough to win some funding, but we put in the funding that I was going to be in it. So we kind of couldn't go back <laughs> on that. I'm going off to do a degree in September. So this is going to kind of be the last acting thing I do for a very long time. Until we're back on at the RSC. For the time being, I direct myself with a lot of help from our wonderful team. Lucy um, obviously has a lot of insight with the with the writing and the language. There are a lot of scenes that are centred around Faustine, so I can kind of pull myself out at that point and see it and structure it. And then our producer and stage manager both also have brilliant creative eyes. They give really good advice and really good suggestions. The director role is a far more collaborative one within this show. What degree are you going off to do? Is it related? Yeah, I'm doing the theatre directing MFA at Birkbeck. Ah, fantastic. And I've read there's puppets in the show. No, we have feminist spirits. Ah, so these are your dead feminists? The dead feminists, yeah, they come back as items of clothing that form into human shape through the art of puppetry the whole thing Mephi is is puppeteering Faustine so it's a bit of a bit of a metaphor and I am obsessed with puppets myself and I built all the puppets for it so is there a paper mache involved there oh yes there's paper mache there's some fabric there's some wire work basically I have no qualifications but I just give everything a go <laughs> and it tends to work out all right the feminist spirits we have a puppeteer that puppets them, who is brilliant. And then Mephi voices them. And it's kind of the idea that Faustine thinks they're real. And it's it's a very chaotic scene because there's four of them and we have one puppeteer. The feminists are Marie Curie, Emmeline Pankhurst, Mary Wollstonecraft and Ruth Bader Ginsburg. Oh, the classics. All the classics. And Sojourner Truth. And Sojourner Truth. So where are you on? The 2nd to the 5th of August at the cockpit, 9pm, with a matinee at 4pm on the 5th. The cockpit's our biggest venue. How are you filling it with it, the, the pair of you? Part of the reason for picking the cockpit is because we started there. The first kind of appearance of the show was at their theatre in the Pound event. And then we did the R&D performances at the Hope. When we did it at the Hope, which is obviously a much smaller venue... One of the main bits of feedback we got was that it's too big for the venue. We were like, we know, but it was the venue. And because of the nature of the story, like Faust, this is quite an epic story. And one of the things that when Lucy was first writing it, we wanted to keep that epic nature of the story. It has to be big or it doesn't feel feasible. And even though the scale of it was somewhat intimidating, it just felt right to go back there. Mm-hmm. Um, and the fact that it's a purpose-built venue and things like that means that we can do hopefully fun things with fire and um, stuff that we can't do in pub venues. So if people wanted to find out more about your company, where should they go? I have a lot of fun on Instagram <laughs> posting videos, mainly of uh, Fiona's cute dog, Pan. The handle is at LAM underscore theatre. That's the Twitter um, one, yeah. If you go to our website, like midnighttheatre.com it has all the links to everything hooray oh 
they they were all lovely, weren't they? You said that last week. <laughs> I know I always say that, but they are always lovely. It's yeah. so nice to talk to people. Yeah, it's nice because we do a lot of emailing and it's nice to actually chat to people about their shows. Maybe like Camden Fringe 2033 will be able to actually appear through the screens at each other by Wonka Vision and then like, see their rehearsals and stuff. Cool. And we could probably get AI to do the podcast for us, which would be a great relief. Oh, yeah, maybe we, maybe we can have a little robot. What we call him? We'll call him a young Simon Bond. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks for listening. It's only three weeks now till the start of the Camden Fringe, so things are hotting up. Do check camdenfringe.com for all the shows, all the information about what's happening. Follow us on social media at Camden Fringe or at the Camden Fringe on Instagram. Are we on threads now? Yeah, we were on threads last week. We are on threads. We're on threads, which is also at the Camden Fringe. Not much has happened on it so far. Goodbye. Goodbye.